Well, good morning. Oh, you can do better than that. Good morning. Hey, you're awake. That's good. It is so good to be back in chapel with you guys. I have been looking forward to this opportunity. When I was given the invitation to come, I started to wrestle hard. What would the Lord have me bring to this hour? And the question that the Lord gave me to wrestle with was, what do we need? What do all of you need to hear? What do I need to hear at this point in this semester? You know, guys, it's been 21 weeks since the last time I stood in this pulpit to preach to you. I'm not counting because I wish I was doing it more. I was counting because I wanted to do some math before I got here. A lot of life has happened since we were together in this setting. I was preaching. You were listening last time. Never mind last semester. Just think about what's happened so far since the beginning of this semester. We're now in the seventh week of this semester. Dorm students had to be back on January 8th, which means that today is the 44th day since you moved back to campus after Christmas. If my count's right, you've now survived 25 class days. You've met with your DG approximately 21 times. If you fulfilled your church attendance commitments, you've worshipped with your church at least six different Sundays. And again, if my count's right, this chapel message that I'm about to preach is the 30th sermon that's been preached to you in this room from this pulpit since you came back from Christmas. Beyond all of that, your lives have been crazy. Our lives have been crazy. You've taken countless tests and quizzes, you've, you've worked on and you've turned in projects, you've played sports and you've gone to events, you've been involved in your society, you may also practice and have performed with an instrument, you've worked a job on or off campus, many of you, you've made time to hang out with your friends, You've had late nights and early mornings. You even spent the end of last week all day, each day, in Bible conference. And I've barely scratched the surface of what our lives have been filled with. I don't know about the rest of you, but, but just rehearsing all of this as I got ready to come and to preach was a bit sobering for me. I mean, guys, it's pretty heavy to think about all that's been packed already into just seven Weeks And as I said, that wasn't close to everything that you've been engaged in, everything that we've done, everything we've, we've, we've worried about and had to deal with. To be honest, it makes me a bit tired just thinking about it all. Came into work this week on Monday morning, and I talked to a colleague who, when I asked him, how's he doing, his response was, hey, it's Monday and I'm already tired. And a lot of you guys are there. It's Tuesday, and you're already exhausted. What's more, I think if we would have to think about this and admit it, not everything so far this semester has gone as, as we've planned. Some of us might have to say that this semester so far has been harder mentally, 
physically, maybe spiritually, than we anticipated. We made plans and things haven't gone according to plan. Guys, I haven't rehearsed what I have so far with the goal of discouraging you. Instead, I've opened our time together this way, to to think with you about this, to to give us some real markers and some measurables to ask ourselves the question, how are we doing? I mean, where are our minds and our hearts right now? How are we thinking? And as a result, how are we living right now? I mean, in light of all that we just rehearsed, I think maybe a couple diagnostic questions to start with might be helpful for us. Questions like this, guys, how much of this semester have you tried to accomplish in your own strength? I mean, of all that stuff we just listed, how much of it have you been dependent upon how strong you are, how wise you are, how well you've planned and how well you've worked your plan? How much of this has been dependent on you solely. Maybe we could flip the coin and ask it this way. Guys, how intentionally and consistently have you lived thus far acknowledging your dependence on God? In light of what we just talked about, maybe asking one more question would be helpful as we start. Guys, have you noticed how little control you actually have over the people and the circumstances and the situations of your life? Just think about it. I think by now it should be abundantly clear to all of us that that we are not the sovereign rulers over the lives that we're living For all of our education and and for all of our experience and for all of our thought and effort and saving and planning, you and I have to admit, guys, we have absolutely no real control over the little worlds that we inhabit. I, I think to understand this, we just have to ask ourselves the question, how well do you do at keeping the weather the way you like it? We can't keep the weather from changing. We can't keep the prices from going up. We we can't keep the roof over our head from leaking. We can't keep the tires on our car from going flat. We learned last semester, we can't keep the electricity from going off, right? It only takes a squirrel. (laughs) We can't keep the paint from fading. We can't keep ourselves or our loved ones from getting sick. We can't keep our own strength from running out. We can't keep track of our car keys half the time. And yet we seem to think and live as though we're the little sovereigns of our lives. How's that going for you? I think if we stop and we wrestle with this, we come to acknowledge that clearly we're not in charge. And if we are, how are we doing? As Paul Tripp wrote something that I think is helpful here, he he wrote this, you and I have very little power and control over the most significant things in our lives. 
You and I don't know what's going to happen next. We don't have a clue what will be on our plates next week or next month. We have little control over the principal people in our lives, little power over the situations in which we live, and almost no control over the locations of our lives. Now, guys, when we begin to honestly assess this and and, and honestly wrestle with this and conclude the fact that we are not in control, we're going to respond in one of two ways. We're going to respond with anxiety or rest. We're going to live anxiously because it all depends on me and I keep the world spinning and, and I keep the bills paid and I get it all done and it is all dependent on me and it drives us crazy. Or we acknowledge that it actually is all governed by another. There's one who is sovereign over all and it's not me. But I know him. And it causes me to rest. I want to use the few minutes that we have this morning to to really look at two big ideas that are attached to these two thoughts. Okay? One connected to anxiety and one connected to rest. And both illustrated in the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. The book of Daniel, chapter number 4. We'll get to the text in a moment. I'll put it on the screen as well. The first thing I want you to consider in light of all that we're talking about this morning is this. Guys, anxiety comes from forgetting God. Anxiety comes from forgetting God. I think, if we're not careful, we tend to think that forgetting God looks like the the, the total abandonment of the faith. Someone who has completely deconstructed and walked away and and said fooey on all of this. But guys, I would argue that forgetting God can actually look like simple pride. That begins to think that your life and your livelihood are completely resting on your own shoulders. Like your survival and and your success rely completely upon your own ability to figure things out. Like your joy and your peace come from controlling people and, and controlling circumstances and controlling situations. Like your worth and your worthiness are rooted in your ability to finish everything on your to do list. And do it all really well. Guys, that kind of thinking results in a mindset that actually just forgets God. It doesn't factor Him into the equation at all. In fact, you begin to think more of yourself than you you ought to think. We we, we begin to, to, to take both the responsibility and the credit for things that are God's alone. I want you to look at the way this kind of thinking, this self-reliance, this self-congratulation manifested in the life of a king named Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 4 and verse 29, we read these words. 
At the end of 12 months, he walked, that's the king, walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spake and he said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? You know, reading words like these from the mouth of a fallen human being is quite shocking if you think about it. Look at this life I'm making. I'm strong, I'm smart, I'm powerful, I'm well-liked. All is good. And I've done it. I've worked hard, I've planned well, I've worked my plan, and look what I've achieved. Where is God in that? Guys, this is unthinkable audacity. I think few of us would be quite so brazen as Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, I doubt that any of you have ever thrown open your dorm room windows or climbed up on a table in a dining common and proclaimed to everyone who will listen, look at this great life that I have built by my own strength and for the glory of my own name. You don't do that. Oh, you may thump your chest a little when you score a basket or a goal. You may squeal the tires of your new car to make sure people notice what you're driving. You may want to make sure people notice that new outfit that you wore or you bought. But I don't think there are many of us shouting for all to hear, look how strong I am and look at all that I've done. I am a self-made person. But maybe the warning that James gives us would actually be a shoe that fits a little better for most of us. You see, in James chapter 4, James writes this warning, go to ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and, and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. He, he's warning people, people who make their plans and work their plans and don't really factor God in at all. In fact, he's rarely on their lips because he's rarely on their minds. They're just living their life. They're just doing their thing. James says, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. He says, you can't even keep yourself alive. And you think you're making this life that you're living? Just yesterday in chapel, we were reminded of the brevity of life when we were told that two fellow institutions lost students in the last week. In the midst of their studies, they died. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So how does someone who realizes not even the breath in my nostrils comes from my own power, what is a person who understands that? How do they think and how do they speak and how do they plan? Well, James tells us, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live. Like if he wants me to keep living, I'll live. And if he doesn't, I won't. And if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. 
But now ye rejoice in your boasting. Wow, did, did you realize that just forgetting God, just, just living life without thinking about God is actually a boastfulness, it's a, a pride? And what does he call it? He says all such rejoicing, this kind of boasting is evil. Guys, do you see it? Forgetting God does not have to look like brazen blasphemy. It can simply be the pride that thinks this is my life and I'll live it as I please. And sadly, living like this is simply done with, a, with, with little to no thought of God at all. And as I said, because he's rarely on our minds, he's rarely on our lips. And this is what I said when I was talking about the fact that we live like our life and our livelihood, our survival and success, our joy and peace, our worth and our worthiness are rooted ultimately and finally in ourselves. Don't miss this, guys. Anxiety is often the result of thinking that you can and must accomplish that which only God is capable of and responsible for doing. Some of us are, are going crazy right now this semester. Because our plan to finish the syllabus for class isn't going like we planned. And we're so far behind the eight ball. We're thinking about dropping out because we don't want to be a failure. And, and, and we're, we're going crazy because what we thought we would get done, we haven't gotten done. Some of us are going crazy right now because of what we had hoped to be uh, accomplishing, the friendships that we were counting on, the, the, the people we thought we would impress, they weren't impressed. And we're so anxious of spirit, it's driving us crazy. A few years ago, there was a bumper sticker, and it went something like this. It said, there's only one God. And then it added, and you are not him. I'm not big on bumper sticker theology, but I will tell you, this is theology I think we need to be reminded of. Guys, there is only one God, and you are not him. I am not him. Jesus himself reminded us of that, and he linked our anxiety to it. You guys know this in Matthew chapter 6, right? Six times in these verses, Jesus tells us, don't be anxious. The ESV is so helpful here. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. By being anxious, can you, add, can you add a single hour to your span of life? Why are you anxious about your clothing? Solomon, in all of his glory, wasn't arrayed like one flower that God clothes in the field. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. What do we eat? Or what do we drink? Or what do we wear? Don't be anxious about tomorrow. God knows tomorrow. He has it in his hands. You see, we read that language and we forget the, the heart behind it if we're not careful. Those same final verses, he tells us this. If God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. You see, the issue is we're believing the wrong thing. As if somehow the, the ultimate success of my life is completely dependent upon me. Guys. Where is God in that? Your heavenly Father knows what you need. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll add all that you need to you. 
This is why I said that anxiety is often the result of thinking that you can and must accomplish that which only God is capable, only God is responsible for doing. Guys, anxiety comes from forgetting God. But I want you to see secondly this, that rest, rest comes from knowing exalting and trusting God. Just follow this for a minute. We can rest when when we come to understand the fact that even though it may not always seem like it, and there are days it doesn't seem like it, we don't understand what is he doing. Even though it may not always seem like it, every life is under the careful supervision and control of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving, and ever-sovereign God. You see, rest acknowledges, it rejoices in the sovereignty of God. A few minutes ago we were reading in Daniel 4 and we, and we left Nebuchadnezzar on the battlements of Babylon. He was exalting in his, in, in his self-centered and self-promoting and self-congratulating pride. But guys, I'm so thankful that though we may have stopped our reading there, God did not leave him there. In fact, Daniel records that while those pride-filled words, while they were still in his mouth... God intervened in the story. Instead of leaving him to his own devices, God took his kingdom and his sanity from him on the same day. God made Nebuchadnezzar like an animal. He he, he drove him from among mankind. He utterly humbled him until the king would come to understand who was really on the throne. Who God truly is. Chapter 4, verse 31, we read this. While the word was still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. They're going to drive you from men. You're going to eat grass like an ox for seven years. But why? Until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. And giveth it to whomsoever he will. God wanted to humble Nebuchadnezzar. That he might bless him. At the end of his humiliation. God mercifully restored his mind. His reason to him. And here's what the king declared. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven and mine understanding returned unto me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored and he begins to describe God. Him that liveth forever. What did James say? You don't even know about tomorrow. Your life is a vapor and it's going to be over. But God lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he, God, doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Was he humbled? Absolutely. 
I didn't put it on the screen, but if you've got your Bible there, look at verse 37. Nebuchadnezzar at the end of that text says this. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Notice who the king is, who's really on the throne, the king of heaven, all, all whose works are truth and his ways, judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Guys, hear this. True rest for your soul is not found in your ability to control life. No. True rest is found in trusting a sovereign God who is always and ultimately in control over everything. And so I ask in this semester, are you marked by anxiety or rest? As we go from here in a moment, I want you to go with truth ringing in your ears. I told you I love hymns because they help me remember God's truth. Stuart Townend wrote a text based on Psalm 62 that seems very fitting here. My soul finds rest in God alone. My rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me. I'll fix my heart on righteousness. I'll look to him who hears me. Find rest, my soul, in God alone amid the world's temptations. When evil seeks to take a hold, I'll cling to my salvation. Though riches come and riches go, don't set your heart upon them. The fields of hope in which I sow are harvested in heaven. I'll set my gaze on God alone and trust in Him completely. With every day pour out my soul and He will prove His mercy. The life is but a fleeting breath, a sigh too brief to measure. My king has crushed the curse of death, and I am his forever. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. My delight and my reward. Everlasting. Never failing. My redeemer. My God. And with that truth in your ears and hopefully capturing your heart, let's run to his throne. Our Father, we thank you for today. Your word meets us right where we are. And it gives us just what we need. So, Father, please, minister grace. 
Humble our hearts and honor yourself in us. For it's in Christ's name that we pray these things.